Let us next turn in God's holy word to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we'll read the entire chapter. Paul is writing his epistle to Titus in quite a messy situation in Crete, and, um, and yet he gives great encouragements and shows uh, the true blessedness of living in such, such an environment. Also, may it also be an encouragement to all of us as we read Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, as uh, to, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather together in worship of the Lord our God, then we also acknowledge the great many blessings he has given us. And one of those great blessings is motherhood. And we recognize that, as we also alluded to also in our prayer, that motherhood comes with many joys, many sorrows, and many challenges, especially in the time in which we live. Some mothers among us experience the life born unto them. Others experience warm and close relationship with their children, and, and sometimes even through uh, the challenges of our day, some of them, those relationships have even been become stronger. Others are expecting new children, and we rejoice uh, with them. But we also know there are many sorrows, indeed, that accompany motherhood. We recognize that mothers also lose their children from time to time, whether it be in infancy or or through miscarriages, or through failed adoptions. Others who would love to be mothers and, and are plagued with 
infertility and we, we recognize some of the challenges of motherhood and disappointment of wayward children and the heartache sometimes of the distance that our children have with us. And we also grieve with those who have lost mothers in this past year and we recognize the real challenges of motherhood. Especially when we think about the day-to-day challenges, we recognize that who is fit for such an awesome and great task. On Mother's Day, we recognize that motherhood is not for the faint-hearted. Sometimes they wear the badge of, of the stains of the food that their children throw at them. And other times they're challenged by, by uh, children pushing the envelope, pushing the boundaries. And, and so we recognize that our mothers are true warriors standing on the front lines and need God's amazing grace, especially in the trials of our day. And I would like to turn then to Titus chapter 2 to remind us of how God's amazing grace can strengthen us in our family units, especially in, in motherhood and, and especially in the messy situation that we live in even today. And as we look at that, um, our text obviously then will come primarily from uh, verses 3 through 5, which directly addresses mothers but don't forget how it addresses also uh, fathers and husbands and, and also uh, young women and, and uh, uh, young men as well. And so we're, we're going to look at this with the theme, Mothers Living by Grace. And first of all, then we'll see how they are called to live out of grace. And secondly, to model a life of grace as they live by grace. First of all, then, mothers living by grace are called to live out of grace. And that is especially important in the midst of an ungodly world and in the midst of a challenging, messy world in which we live today. And we find that, especially in Titus here, as Paul is writing to Titus, who's ministering on the island of Crete. Titus was a Gentile Christian himself and was likely converted under the ministry of Paul and traveled with Paul as he becomes a spiritual son to Paul in a certain way. And after Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, he and Titus um, ministered here on Crete. And Paul left him there to continue in this ministry and to organize the churches and to build them up and, and to... And as Titus here is in the trenches, as it were, on the island of Crete, we need to recognize that Crete had had really fallen to a deplorable moral level. And, and here, even the Christians were impacted by it, especially in the immaturity of their faith. And they needed basic instruction on, on how to live a godly Christian life. And besides that, there were many false doctrines also that would impact on every side, and it would be detrimental to the, the, the Christian living that they were called to on this island. And it wasn't just a problem of the, the people who were outside of the church, but, but even also within the church. You find that especially in Titus chapter 1, that there were 
many who are insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, and, and even those of the circumcision, oh, those who were, who were of uh, the Jewish faith, and also those who would have been now coming also into the church, whose mouths must be stopped, he says, and because they subvert whole households, and, and showing how, how all of these sins that were plaguing the island of Crete had also creeped in, crept into the church, and, and now is, is causing major disruption. And so therefore, it'd be wise and in absolutely important to have office bearers who are stand-up model Christians, but also parents and, and young people who would model that Christianity as well. And so Paul is encouraging Titus to, to speak the things that would, that would flow from the Word of God, that would be sound doctrine in the church, and, and, and that that sound doctrine, the, the, that the very Word of God would be put into practice. Otherwise, that doctrine and all of what you have in your hands in the Scriptures would be useless, he's saying, and worthless. And so, really, in order to have a good a, a, a good and healthy church, a good and healthy family unit, they needed to have doctrine put into practice. And the very basis and the foundation of working that out in their lives was the very grace of God. And we find that especially in verses 11 through 15 of which we read in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our, great, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works." And so as we take this message that Titus is to bring of the grace of God in an ungodly situation, in an ungodly world, and how to live in that, even within the church, even within our family units, he wants us to be reminded that this is what will give you a healthy and a vibrant family, a vibrant church, a vibrant society. And so we must live out of that grace that, that God has, has granted unto us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that impact of that grace of God through Christ will also have an impact on our character of grace. And that's really why Paul is telling Timothy here in verse 3 to, uh, to ad- encourage also the older women that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to too much wine, teachers of good things. In other words, he's saying this inner Christ-like character ought to also characterize them just as, just as they've been given this grace from God, so also they are called to live out of that grace. And the first thing he shows there is that that this grace produces a, a, a reverent um, character, a, a, a character that is characterized by reverence uh, unto, unto God himself. 
that they're called to be reverent in this behavior. In other words, to be a separated, a separate, a, a priestly type of behavior, one that, one that is filled with prayer and sacrifice and worship to the Lord. It, it leads to that reverence of God. It's a, it's a behavior that impacts the whole of a, of a woman and that the older women would have this kind of behavior, a, a reverent behavior. One that focuses not on the, the outer beauty, the beauty that might even be fading away in a certain sense of, of the skin-deep kind of beauty, but, but an inner beauty, a beauty of holiness, a, an inner fragrance of this beauty, just as we find in 1 Peter 3, where, where we find in verse 3 that he calls them, um, don't, do not let your adornment be merely outward. It is, it is wonderful when, when a woman cares for herself and, and takes care of her body and, and looks nice. That's, that's, all, that's all perfectly fine. He says, but don't let it merely be that. But rather, let it be uh, the inner person, the hidden person of the heart, that incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious, he says, in the sight of God. That's the kind of beauty of, of holiness and holy living and, and a reverent behavior that befits a woman, a mother. And so, so we're, we're called to have that, great, that character that's tuned by the grace of God, even in the inner person. A second characteristic trait that, that Paul is bringing out here to Titus is, is that they're also called to have a, have a character of self-denial. Self-denial. The, the, the first thing he, he, he says there is that, that they are to be not, not to be slanders. They are not to be slanders. In other words, they, they need to deny themselves in their communication. Not to use communications to puff themselves up while they tear others down, but rather to be, to be edifying in their speech. They are called not to be slanders. The word slander kind of paints a, a very vivid picture because the, the word actually means to, to throw something in between. Just as Satan would throw in between Eve and God the lies and throw in between Adam and God the lies. And throw in between people even of our day the lies. And, and, and it wreaks havoc in relationships. A wise woman will watch her words. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to Timothy similar words in a similar context in 1 Timothy 5. And he says, uh, they, 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 without having this character of self-denial, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, uh, saying things which they ought not to. And really, really, um, this, this becomes a, a real challenge, and we need to deny ourselves from that kind of characteristic, whether, whether you're a woman or a man or a young person, whoever you are. Because we recognize one thing as one time, one time I read that he who throws dirt loses ground. And that's really what slander does. When you start throwing dirt around, you, you really, you're losing ground. And for a farmer, well, you don't want to lose any of your ground. Um, so, 
but that's what you do in relationships. When you start throwing dirt around and throwing mud around, you're losing ground. You're losing ground in relationships. You're breaking them down. And so that, nothing really is more damaging than being a slanderer. So, so we need to hear that warning today to have good and profitable relationships also with our children and our spouses and, and those around us. We need to avoid slander at all costs. Now, secondly, he says that they ought not to be given to too much wine. Not given to too much wine. In other words, they ought not to be enslaved to wine. Or really, you could fill that word wine with many things. And so they need to, they need to avoid being addicted and, and enslaved. A Roman and Greek culture in that day would, like many in our culture probably too, would drink in order to dull the pain of life and fill up the empty time, especially in these challenging times when, 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 um, when people can't get out and people are stuck in their homes. It's led to great problems in alcoholism. And so also for a woman who who is in the home and caring for the home, and maybe, maybe it could be tempted to this. But rather, he calls us to have a controlled spirit, a spirit that is controlled by the Holy Spirit, and that our character then would want, be one that's denying ourselves and not being enslaved to not only wine, but maybe it would be soap operas that I don't think many people probably watch soap operas anymore, but I still think they're probably still televised. Uh, but it, it um, definitely can be an addiction that wastes lots and lots of time. Um, but maybe, maybe it's not soap operas today. Maybe it's binge-watching on Netflix or, or, or addicted to reading even books that aren't really even edifying or, or addicted to Facebook and the latest news and, and whatever it would be. He says, don't be enslaved to these things. It's only going to damage your character. You need to deny yourself. We're called to deny ourselves. It's one that's met with a reverent behavior, a respectable behavior, a holy behavior, but also self-denial. These are characteristics that, that ought to characterize us, but also one that, that wants to take these good things also to others. He says, teachers of good things. And we'll see that more as we see the model of living out of grace. But, but to live out of grace, the very grace of God, we can, we can deny ourselves. We can seek to live holy because of what He has done and because what He has given, and because of what He has sacrificed, and because of what He has taught. And that also then to also encourage us to become mothers, but also fathers and children that model a life of grace, that model a life of grace. That's what we'll see in our second point. Mothers living by grace end up modeling a life of grace. Verse, verse 3 ends with that they ought to teach good things, and then closely connected to that, verse 4 begins with that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, and so on. 
And the first thing we, we acknowledge there is that they are to be teachers of these good things. And, and as teachers of these good things, they ought never to be afraid to admonish. And when you bring those two words together, teaching and admonishing, you get this whole idea of modeling something and being a mentor of something. Giving wise teaching counsel and encouragement that is modeled in your own life. I think of uh, Proverbs uh, 25 here. In Proverbs 25, we have that well-known saying about um, that words uh, fitly spoken is like apples of gold in, 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 uh, in pictures of silver. And, and really what that's referring to is that, that in, the, in proper times, uh, there, there's, there's good times and good places of instruction and advice and uh, comfort in times of need. And, and they're to be given at proper times and proper seasons as as we as we encourage one another they're like these 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 gold balls that would be beautifully framed in silver and and that they would be appealing and and ones that would that would um, be be fitting together and and the goal of this all remember is that the word of god would not be blasphemed and so, in other words, by not teaching, by not modeling, by not giving this advice, by not saying anything at all, the Word of God would be blasphemed. Because the, the Word of God and the sound doctrines would not encourage us and motivate us unto godly living, nor the next generation. And so, so we need to recognize that it's not only about what we say, but how we say it, how we say it, how we admonish, how we teach. As a matter of fact, many times, uh, the, by not saying anything at all or not saying it in the proper manner can be equally as bad. If we don't do it with the proper motives and the proper manner, it can also deny the truth and, and, and not be a very good model of that truth. And so we need to be sure by the things that we say and the timing of those things that we do not blaspheme the word of God, but that we say it in edification and encouragement as, as those golden apples in frames of silver. And so we, we need to... We need to encourage our, our mothers to be involved and, and to teach and, and, to, and to give admonishment. And so what, what must our mothers and our women be models and mentors of according to Titus? Well, they ought to admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. The first thing is very clearly love, isn't it? And, and often as, as Paul is, is writing um, to this, uh, he re recognizes that love is, is, is a challenging thing that needs to be addressed. He addresses it many times in his epistles, in, in practical uh, living, in, in our homes. And this instruction is to instruct the young married women in, in the home to, to have love within the home. Now, Sometimes in marriage counseling, uh, we read Ephesians chapter 5, and, and uh, nowhere in Ephesians 5 does it say women ought to love their husbands, that wives ought to love their husbands. The wives are called to be submissive to their husbands. So 
Nowhere in Ephesians 5 does it say that they should love their husbands. Well, here in our text, very clearly, it says that the women are to love their husbands. Obviously, all of God's Word calls us to love one another, uh, even even as we would love ourselves, right? So, so loving our husbands is, is very clearly also a command of God in, in, this, in this passage and throughout the Word of God. And, and this love is, is not a kind of love that the world portrays, but, but rather a love that is a commitment. As a matter of fact, when Paul is writing this to, to Titus, um, you, you can, you can um, appreciate the fact that in, in uh, Crete, there probably would be many arranged marriages that, that, that they, they wouldn't just fall in love with someone because they were beautiful and they were attracted to them and, and they thought they'd be a really nice person to marry. But rather, the parents would arrange these marriages. And, and so uh, they needed to learn to love them in a certain sense. In other words, love for them was not necessarily a bunch of romantic feelings, but it was about a commitment unto one another. And, and so, you know, even in our day, we find that uh, people get married with simply romantic feelings and skin-deep de- skin love that, that many times when those romantic feelings go away, then, then, then the marriage falls apart. Uh, but but understanding this biblical definition of love that, that we are called to, that we must learn and be taught in, is that it's an unconditional commitment to even an imperfect person. And that, that takes real grace sometimes uh, to love our husbands. Maybe you just ask my wife about that. But not only loving your husbands, but also loving children. Loving your children. And you might say, well, of course you love your children. Even society around us would, 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 would say something is very wrong if a mother does not love her children. We see one of the most horrific things in, in our society, and our society reacts with horror when, when a mother would, would even take the life of their children. There must be something psychologically wrong, they would say. However, the world also has a, a, a very strange definition of love that, that, that would say that we are to just affirm our children in everything that they want and everything they, they think and also give them everything we want, they want and think. And that's not truly loving our children either. And so we need to recognize that loving our children involves uh, the hard things also and the, and the challenges of, of motherhood to discipline our children. We, we, we find that, especially in the Proverbs, that, that discipline is a sign of love. And, and he who withholds discipline, even according to Hebrews, uh, does not love. And so discipline is a very uh, real evidence of loving your children, especially when it's done in the proper way, at the proper motives. We also recognize that loving our children is to encourage them and teach them the Christian worldview and teach them to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to care for all of their spiritual as well as their emotional and physical needs. We are called to love our children in such a way. And sometimes, sometimes we're called to do all of these things even at the same time. I think of a story of once I heard about a young boy's 
probably 12 years old, almost getting too, too big for his mother to discipline. And yet, while she was gone, he was supposed to do a bunch of chores around the house. And, and instead, his friends asked him to play some baseball with them. And as they were playing baseball, he lost track of time. And, and soon he saw his mother's car pull into the driveway. And, and so he ran to the house and he realized he did not do the chores that she asked him to do. And and as uh, she came into the house, he was expecting to be disciplined by his mother. And this was her discipline. Oh, what a gracious discipline. As she looked at him right in the eye, she led him by the hand up the stairs into his bedroom. He, she knelt down beside him and embraced him in his arm, in her arms. And, he, and she began to pray. Lord, teach my little boy to be a man you want him to be. And ever, whenever uh, this person would tell this story, the tears would well up in his eyes. And he remember, and he testified it, testified of it as standing and being disciplined in the weeping arms of love. You see, that's what we are called to be mentors of. Even if, even if it means corporal punishment at times, that our children would know the love that permeates our discipline and that it would be filled with grace. Filled with grace. To be modeling that grace and that love. He also calls them not only to love, but also to be discreet or uh, self-controlled. We saw that a little bit already in verse 3, but, but the focus here is, is to have a, have a controlled mind, to be balanced and not overreacting, to be, to be patient and, and to think clearly as you hold, try to hold it together, even in those challenging situations with children and others. That, that we wouldn't melt down into unbiblical emotions, but that we would be self-controlled, discreet. And that also impacts how we would discipline and, and love as well. He goes on to talk about how we're called to be chaste or to be pure. Obviously, marriage is, is, is to be, as we find in Hebrews 13 to be honorable and and the bed undefiled and and we recognize that not only in in purity and in 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 marital affairs but also purity in the way we dress the way we communicate the way the way we use technology he goes on to not only say love and just be discreet and to be chaste but also homemakers to be keepers of the home Oh, some sometimes women um, or people might might mistake this for and, and say that women's only place is in the home. But but I, I don't believe that's true at all. Especially when you read Proverbs thirty one, how a, a virtuous woman spends a fair time outside of the home, buying and selling and 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 caring also for for many other responsibilities. 
And yet at the same time, they are, they are to make their home, they are indeed called to make their home a safe place for, for their husbands and for their children. And, and, and what a satisfying and rewarding thing that is when, when they can do so. And they will be praised by, by their husbands, by their children in the way and every day for doing so, for making that home a, a safe place. Obviously, in our day and age where, where we have many, many blessings of technology and dishwashers and washing machines that are helpful and we don't have to pump the water and everything else, and it, we, there's nothing wrong with a, a woman working uh, as, as long as the home can, can be kept and, and, and maintained to, to be a, a homemaker, to, to make that home a, a, an inviting a safe place for your family, but also for others. It's a real satisfying and rewarding part of, of being a mother. We also find that he goes on to say that, that these young women are to be good. In other words, this word good is, is pleasant and kind. And, and you think of, again, Proverbs 31, with uh, this woman has a law of kindness on her tongue. And she, she watches, watches over her household with it and, and, and does not eat the bread of idleness, but, but is hospitable. She's showing kindness not only to her family, but also uh, to her community and to those, those who would come into her household with her children and so on. She, she, has, she has a character and, a, and models goodness and kindness. Maybe you could even think about how that goodness and kindness is not only in the care for your, your immediate family and hospitality to those who come along with your family, but also even for the care of the elderly and our parents and so on. That, that we can also, even as Timothy writes, or Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, that, um, that we're to, to show piety at home and and, and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. What a blessing it is when we can uh, care also for the needs of our mothers as we grow older. So we recognize that there are m- many things that, that Paul is telling Titus, and, and the last one he, he goes on with is that they would be obedient to their husbands. That they'd be obedient to their husbands. Of course, this is also a biblical um, position that he also teaches in, in Ephesians chapter 5. That, that uh, a wife is to submit uh, willingly to the leadership of her husband and, and to do so as they submit together in the Lord. And, and that's not just a call to the women, remember, husbands. That's also a call, as we, as we remind ourselves today, that it's a call to us as well, that we are called to love them and make it easy for them to submit to us. And so, as we reinforce that truth, we recognize that that ties into to what Paul's writing here to Titus as well, that they are called to be obedient to their husbands, that that their husbands would also be able to trust their wives. They find that in Proverbs 31 as well, that the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he shall have no lack of gain. The heart of her husband, uh, she, she does this uh, to him 
and she does good to him and, and not evil all the days of her life. And, and that's, that's really encouraging, that the heart of her husband, as she's doing good for him, for the family, as she's uh, being a homemaker, as she's, as she's chaste, as she's discreet, as she's loving, as she's obedient, that there the heart of her husband would safely trust her. Uh, really, in Proverbs 27, you really have the op- opposite uh, scenario, don't you, of a woman who's a contentious woman. Um, and, and, and the proverb goes to say, say this, that, that, that a contentious woman is like the, the drips on a rainy day that would be splattering on you. It'd be irritating. It'd be irritating. And it'd be a terrible example also for your children. Think about it. Think about this example. There was a little boy once, he was at home, uh, sitting on the front steps of the house, and he was kind of looking a little bit forlorn, and his dad came home at that time, and he asked him, well, what's wrong, son? And the little boy looked up at him and says, Dad, it's just between you and me, but I'm having trouble getting along with your wife, too. And so what, what happens is, is our actions and our love for our wives and love for our husbands and our obedience and our obedience to the Lord, it also impacts our children. They see it day by day. If our children have to say, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife too, they're definitely getting the wrong message in your home. What do we need? We need that grace again. We live out of grace and we model that grace. And we also then need to extend that grace. Extend that grace for failures. Indeed, we could be hard on ourselves when we look at all of these qualifications that Paul has here for women. Uh, all of these qualifications for, for men, if you read the passages, uh, verses right before it. All the qualifications for office bearers in chapter 1. Uh, we, we could be really hard on ourselves. Uh, we could look at ourselves and, and we only will find ourselves to be failures. But, but there's also grace for failures. And that's, that's the beauty of this all. And that's what we need to model. Yes, we, we might think of ourselves that we need to be a better model. But we need to get back to grace. And we need to remember the grace of God that indeed where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And that we would know that grace and remember that grace and let that grace motivate us and push us on to be better models of His grace. But yes, also for children. Recognize that your parents, the office bearers of the church and whatever leadership position that there is, remember, remember to give them also grace to give them grace, to to pour grace upon them because they will fail in all of these ways, every one of them. They will will not be perfectly loving. Sometimes that discipline might seem unfair or harsh. Other times, other times they, they won't always treat your dad with the respect. They won't always be perfectly good. But know, as they love you, to shower them with grace. 
as they extend grace unto you, shower them with grace in return. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so let us respect. Let us respect. Let's especially respect our, our, our aged women among us, knowing that they have great value, a great amount, a wealth of wisdom to share with us as, as younger moms, as younger mothers, as we think about the wonderful blessing of grandmothers and mothers for younger women. I'll learn from them. Respect them. Follow them. And as far as they follow the Lord, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And let us always be motivated, motivated by that grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a special people, zealous unto good works, zealous unto being the best mother that you can be by the grace of God. And may God bless you and your families in that relationship in the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we stand amazed at your grace. Grace also for failures. Grace for those who, who have not matched what it's meant to be called as a Christian. A Christian office bearer, a Christian father, a Christian mother, a Christian child and young person. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would wash us and cleanse us and shower us with your grace, that your grace would much more abound in our lives to the glory of your name, that, that we would no longer live and continue in sin, but, but that we should live in and through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, go with us and forgive us and give us a blessed day in our families and worship to the Lord our God that your name would be glorified and your word would not be blasphemed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.